that last song, if you thought about the lyrics as you were singing it, coming back to the heart of worship, that was actually written, the person who wrote that song, the pastor in that church told them, we're going to take away all the instruments because oftentimes you get a little too showy perhaps or a little too about entertaining and this is not about entertaining. We always talk about that in our church, that we're not here to entertain you. We're here to lead you into worship. And that's exactly what these um, folks, when they're on stage, their goal is to lead you into worship. And when it comes down and there's no music, like there's not, it's just our voices, that's really why that song was written. We're coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about who? That's right. It's all about Jesus. So what a wonderful song. Um, opening up this message um, that we have, um, that the title will, will come up on the screen. I got to tell you, um, I will pray for the offering at the end of the message. As you'll see, it kind of blends into that. Um, this message is about um, two books in the Old Testament, but it is uh, about giving, really, ultimately, our heart. And I hope you see that as we give our heart to the Lord. My son is 12. You saw him up here. He, we try to give our, our children tasks um, in, in the church to serve. Um, and my daughter's helping in the nursery tonight or today, uh, right now, and, and my son's off to, to class to help. But um, he's 12, and um, this summer I helped him get a couple of jobs cutting grass. He's at that age, you know, where it's like he's going to learn a little bit about work and what it takes. And uh, he's He's got a, a good um, guy down the street that he cuts the grass for, and he paid him in advance just this week for the rest of the year, and he gave him $180. He gets paid like $20 every time he cuts it. So he, get, he gets his $180, and he comes back, and he's excited. He's got this envelope, you know, a smile on his face. And, and I says, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, and he says, well, I'm going to put you know, this much in the bank, and I'm going to keep this much for savings. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you think about God's church? You know, and, and, and he says, oh, yeah. He goes, here's $20, you know. And, I, and I, I thought, wow, that's really generous. And I actually, I had the thought to myself, why is it so easy for him, and I did the math, to give 11% of his income to the Lord? I, I thought, why is it so easy for him? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, because you're the pastor and you're his dad and he doesn't have a choice. <laughs> but I give him a choice, trust me. Um, I don't want him to feel pressured um, in any way to serve or give or anything in God's church. But um, the other thing you might think of is, well, it's easy for him to give that much because, well, he doesn't have any bills, right? He doesn't pay any bills like we do, right? So it's a little bit um, easier for him, and that's true. But I think ultimately, he willingly gave that, and he um, filled out, uh, or he put it in the, the uh, envelope, um, and then he put it in the offering on the back table there, and I think ultimately he wants to give to God's church. I think he wants to. And I saw it as one of those teachable moments. Parents, you know what I'm talking about where you get those teachable moments with your kids. And I, I saw it as one of those because I wanted him to understand more than anything that God gives us everything we have. You know what I mean? Like God gives us everything we have. God gave him this little job that he gets to do and, and make some money at it. And God gave him parents with a strong work ethic to lead by example for him. And God just gives him everything. And I wanted him to see that more than anything. And I hope you see that this morning, that everything we have, God gives us. Everything. And when we support God's 
church. We support people like myself who are in full-time ministry. I believe we should do it because God's Word teaches it. I mean, this is not my opinion. I say, I say this over and over every week. This isn't my opinion. I don't, I don't come up here and, and, and give you, you know, what I think you should do. I give you what God's Word says you should do. And in the Old Testament, we see two books, Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, and Malachi, and, and they go together because they're kind of in the same time frame of, of the Old Testament, what was going on in the, in, uh, in the people of Israel. But you see in Nehemiah, he's kind of this guy, if, if you read it, you probably think of one word that comes to mind. He built the, anybody, you read it this week, what did he build? The wall, right, right? And, and I thought of five different Donald Trump jokes I could come up with right there, you know, I mean, go back to the first campaign, right? I, but I'm not going to say them, all right? Um, but then there, there's Nehemiah and the wall, and then there's Malachi, who really ultimately talks about giving, and he talks about, you know, testing God, in fact, and I'm going to share with you a challenge that Malachi gives. So you got Nehemiah and the wall, and you got Malachi and the wallet, so I hope you like holy wallets, all right? I hope you get it, the pun there, that the title is Holy Wallets this morning. And um, Nehemiah was much more concerned about um, holiness, really, as in your heart, than he was about building this wall and protecting Jerusalem. He cared about following through with what Zerubbabel did. Zerubbabel came first. He built the temple back up. Ezra taught in the temple to be holy, and Nehemiah now is governing Jerusalem, and he wants the people to be holy. And we're going to see that in the first six chapters of Nehemiah. He builds the wall, but then there's seven more chapters of Nehemiah that display his amazing leadership skills, which is why I love him, um, and many leaders love Nehemiah, and if you're a leader in any capacity, I, I tell you, exhort you to read Nehemiah and learn from Nehemiah. Um, and then you see that one of the big things he talked about was supporting the priests with their first fruits. You ever heard that phrase, first fruits? Because for them, their, their money, their, their, their income was first fruits, right? I mean, it was their crops, and it was a lot of other things, their animals and so on. And so they were, they were called by God to give the tithe and the offerings, really. So the tithe being a tenth, but then over and above that, tithe was the minimal if you really want to get technical, when we see the Old Testament, it was the minimal. And they were supposed to support the priests. And that was necessary because God had called one tribe out of 12 to dedicate themselves. They didn't get land. They didn't get um, anything in the, when the promised land came. They didn't get that, um, a chunk of land to call their own. Their job was to serve the people. They were called to full-time ministry. And, 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 and God says, you need to support them, right? That was the, the call in the Old Testament. So Nehemiah wants them to be holy, but when he passes on, the, the sheep wander, if you will. And, and we see that throughout the Bible. Don't we see that, that, that God's sheep, right, that's us, right? We wander, we get off track, and that's why he calls shepherds, right, to get us back on track. And in Malachi, we see that the main cause of their unholiness, if you will, was the lack of their giving. And so Malachi presents a challenge, which is what God told them to do, and I'm going to give that challenge to you today. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to look through the, the, uh, an overview of Nehemiah and Malachi. 
But I believe ultimately, come back to our title, Holy Wallets, that's what God wants you to have. And the reason for that, um, Jesus tells you. So um, if you don't hear anything else, you should hear Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 21, where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's really, that sums it up right there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I come before you today, humble, wanting to deliver this message to all of us, including myself, so we understand that when we give, we give from our heart. That's the most important thing. That we understand that everything we have comes from you, and it's a blessing. It's, it's a blessing to give, and when, when, we, when we have holy wallets, God, it's, it's us just saying, when you tell us to give, we say how much. We're stewards of what you've blessed us with. Father, I pray the message will be clear today. I pray your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts, will make, us, will make our hearts burn, as we'll see in the, in the Word today. And I pray, Father, overall for this church, for everyone is coming in different places, and I know very well, um, hits very close to home, that our teachers are, are just struggling right now, um, teaching in the way they have to teach, and I pray for them, and I pray for our schools, that you protect them and guide them and lead them and our students. And I pray for, um, that we can just ultimately navigate through the storm that we're in and that we would find blessings throughout. Um, that, that you haven't called us to a simple life, you've called us to a, a difficult one as we navigate, um, as we walk and follow you. I pray, Lord, you would bless us. And if that's you calling, God, I pray we will answer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Nehemiah is one of my favorite leaders, I told you in the Bible, because he led by example. I've always been that kind of leader. Um, as captain of my basketball team, you know, as pastor, as coach, um, always led by example. I believe that's the way we should lead. I don't, I don't ask someone to, um, you know, cut the grass here, I come and help you. You know, I, I, I don't ask you to paint, I come and help you do that. Like, I'm a leader by example. Nehemiah was the same way. You've got to understand a little background about Nehemiah. He writes from a foreign land because he was born in captivity, right? His, his family had been taken into captivity when, the, when Jerusalem was taken over by King Babylon. And so he was not born in Jerusalem, never been there. I don't think he ever really planned to go there. Um, but God turned his heart. Um, God, God got his attention. You see, what happened was is when you read Nehemiah chapter 1, you'll see it. He got a report from some folks there that they were in trouble in Jerusalem because even though the temple was built, there was no protection around the city, and so no one really wanted to live in the city. Um, so they were kind of just spreading out, and they were kind of feeling shame, if you will, about the, their, their town, their, their homeland. And so um, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, our verse, first scripture we'll see on the screen. As soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah talking, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. You know, I thought about this. When you hear about a hurricane in the Gulf, you pray, right? When you hear about trouble happening in the world, you, you pray. But you don't stop your life and go help unless something really changes within, right? 
I mean, there's, there's got to be something big that happens within for you just to stop your life and say, I'm going there and I'm helping. Well, that's what happened to Nehemiah, right? Like something big stirred within him. And it wasn't just the report, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to him and telling him, listen, you have a position that is allowing you right now to make a difference for such a time as this. I couldn't help but think of Esther. Because Esther, by the way, lived in Susa, just like Nehemiah did, around the same time. So Nehemiah might have been motivated by Esther for such a time as this. And he had a role in the kingdom, if you will. He was the cupbearer to the king. He's the guy that tastes the, the food or the drink, right, to make sure that it's not poison. So if he dies before the king dies, right? So he's got this important role. He gets to be with the king. And he, grant, uh, he, he requests to go back to Jerusalem to build this wall, and he knows what he needs. Um, he doesn't make this request all willy-nilly, like, oh, king, I think I want to go back and, and see if I can't help out. He's like, no, I think I know what I need to do, and this is what I need, A, B, C, right? And he makes those requests. He's a great leader. And then he heads off to, Jer- to Jerusalem. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, I think it was extremely emotional for him because of what we see in the Word of God. You see, I've never been to the Holy Land. I want to go. And I hear that when people go there for the first time, it's emotional. It overwhelms them. When Nehemiah went, it says in chapter 2, verse 11, he was there for three days and never told anybody that was there. He just soaked it all in, I think. It was emotional. There was a time our family took a trip to Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. How many of you have been to Colonial Williamsburg? All right, we have some people there. There's a lot of cool things to see in Colonial Williamsburg. It's sort of a recreation of the life in the late 1700s. And one of the neat places we visited was a place called Bruton Parish Church. And what's significant about that is some of the the, the founding fathers of our country went to church there, and they, they marked the pews and say, so-and-so sat here. And so I sat in the pew where George Washington sat, and James Madison, and Thomas Jefferson. And, and it was very exciting, but it was also humbling to think, like, wow, these, these men sat in these seats. And I think Nehemiah felt that way when he got to the Holy Land. He's like, his, his fathers were here and built this. Solomon was here. David was here. They fought. For this, Well, the nostalgia wore off. Nehemiah got to work, and um, he rebuilds the walls with a whole lot of help. If you read Nehemiah, you'll see that it explains it. It says, like, like so-and-so was next to so-and-so, and they built this part of the wall, and next to them was this part of the wall, and next to them were these people. You know, I, I think it's important, and I know Jamie really was, um, was um, um, blessed by that, that text because... You know, we, we are in this together, right? Nehemiah says in chapter 4, verse 6, we built the wall. The wall was joined together to half its height. Why? Because the, the people had the mind to work. There was a collective effort. Doesn't this speak to the need for God's church today? No man is an island. You ever heard the lyrics of that song, No Man is an Island? The New Testament 
exhorts us over and over and over to belong to a local church, to belong to God's church, to gather together, to learn together, fellowship together, pray together, worship together. And we must stand next to each other. Jamie, next to Bobby, next to Barry, next to Scott, next to Rebecca, next to Naomi, next to everyone, coming together to build each other up. We cannot give up meeting together, as it says in Hebrews. We must love one another. Amen? Amen. Now there's going to be opposition. And there was opposition for Nehemiah. They built the wall halfway, and the enemy comes in because they see the progress. They see what God is, is doing or what they're doing. They, they probably didn't believe it was God, but, but uh, Nehemiah did. And I love it. They're not going to stop. They're not going to let the enemy stop them. Chapter 4, verse 23, this is what it says. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. They didn't stop to change their clothes. They put their weapon on their side. They were packing heat. It was a sword. But if at any point, can we turn off, mute five, please? Mute five. The the enemy came in, they were ready with a sword, but they were going to work. They were going to work and get the job done. They didn't change their clothes or anything. And I love Nehemiah, not because he, he, he led them by example, by working with them, but he was also humble. We see in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, The former governors of Jerusalem who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, took from them their daily ration for 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. But I didn't do that because of my reverence for God. My reverence for God. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered for the work. You see why Nehemiah is such a great leader? Led by example. And then my favorite verse of Nehemiah. This is my favorite thing that he says. It's in uh, chapter 6, verse 3, because the enemy tried to trick him and tell him to come on off the, the building project because he needed to speak to somebody, and it was this whole, like, it was just a scam, right? And, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. He says in verse 3, I sent messengers back. I didn't go down there. I didn't stop what I was doing. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Just leave that up on the screen so you can see that. I'd love for you just to say that out loud. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. When you say that out loud, When someone tries to distract you from reading your Bible, or from praying, or from going to church, or doing anything for God, you just tell them what Nehemiah said. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I can't stop. I'm doing a great work for the Lord. Don't get in my way. Don't distract me. This is for the Lord. So the next time... You see yourself getting distracted or somebody trying to pull you away or somebody telling you you shouldn't go to church or you shouldn't pray or you shouldn't read your Bible. You tell them, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Amen? Amen. Now, 52 days. Chapter 6, verse 15. The wall was finished in 52 days. That's so impressive. They're protected. And now Nehemiah calls on Ezra to keep doing what he does best, and that is to teach the Word of God. 
And I want to bring this to your attention so you can see how they taught the Word of God. Chapter 8, verse 3, Ezra was facing the square before the water gate from, get this, early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and women, all those who could understand, their ears were attentive to the book of the law, what he was reading. You think I preach long sometimes? <laughs> he started in the morning, and he went on to midday. Ezra preached for hours. But you know what? They wanted to hear it. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to know what was right, what God wanted from them. And I wish um, that every pastor would memorize Nehemiah 8, verse 8, because I believe it's the way the Word of God should be taught. It says that he read, Ezra read from the book, from the law of God, and it says clearly. So just stop right there for a second, clearly. I wanted to know what that meant. What does it mean to speak the Word of God clearly? Well, it means with interpretation. It means that you expositorily preach. Expose the Word of God. Explain what the author meant by it. I mean, there's been times, I'm sure you've read the Bible, and your mind wandered, and then you didn't remember anything you read. Right? That's not clearly. Right? That's going in one ear and out the other. There's times you might have sang the songs, but then didn't really think about the words. We don't sing songs that aren't from the Word of God. And I'm sure there's lots out there that are written that are not the Word of God. But we don't pick those songs. We pick them intentionally. Well, my lovely wife picks them, and they're important. But every pastor needs to understand that we need to teach the Word of God. We're not here to entertain. We're here to teach the Word. And then he says, and they gave the sense. That means with insight and wisdom. There was insight and wisdom into the Word, and the people understood the reading. I say, what good is the sermon unless you understand what God is telling you to do and how you can apply it to your life today? What good is it? I'm glad you're here. I, I see so many faces that are here to hear the Word of God. And you want to know it. And you want to know how it applies to your life. And that's why I'm here. That's why I preach. That's what God has called me to do. I do it because it pleases God. Now the people understood very well what God was saying to them because it says that the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Because they knew what they were doing with their life. And then they heard God's way. And they realized... This isn't, this isn't right. We're doing wrong. I think every once in a while, a sermon should make you squirm in your seat a little bit. <laughs> you know? I think it should. I think it should make your heart burn a little bit. In fact, if you read Luke's Gospel, you'll see that, that Jesus was on the road to, after the resurrection, he was on the road to Emmaus with a couple guys. And they didn't recognize Jesus. Kind of interesting story, the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Jesus. He had kind of kept his... his um, his presence uh, kind of hidden, a, a secret. But then they, they invited him to supper. And, and, he, and he went in and, and he broke bread and then they realized and he kind of disappeared. It's a really neat kind of thing that happened there. He was um, resurrected after the resurrection. But Luke 24, 32 says, this is the conversation the two guys had when Jesus left. He says, did not our hearts burn within us while we were talking on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. Jesus explained to them 
And their hearts burn within. Because God's word, when you open up the Bible and you read it, it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It gets where I can't get. It gets where the Holy Spirit gets. That's the word of God. The people of God kept diving into God's word, and it says that they made, they, they took action. It says chapter 9, verse 2, the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They repented. That's what it means to repent. They turned away from their, their, their sin, their, their lifestyle, and then they turned back to God. And they made a promise to God. We call it a, it's called a covenant. They made a covenant with God, a promise. And let me give you the summary of their covenant rather than go through all the verses there. But the summary of the covenant, two words I can give it to you. Be holy. That's that's their promise. Be holy. Now, it was a few different areas. First of all, they weren't going to mix with other nations because they knew from Solomon's example that that would cause them to worship false gods. So they were going to do what God had called them to do. They were going to keep the Sabbath day holy. They were going to keep the Sabbath day holy and they were going to give the tithe and the offerings to support the temple and the priests. They said, in fact, we promised to bring the first fruits of our ground and our trees and our oil and our flocks. And they were even um, called to dedicate the firstborn son, as we see that in Scripture, where they would dedicate the firstborn son to the, to the service of the Lord. They basically said, as I am saying to you today, we're going to have holy wallets. Holy wallets. We're not going to neglect the house of our God. We're going to take care of our ministers. And by the way, this is really interesting. Nehemiah was a tither. He tithed the people. If you read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. You see, Jerusalem had leaders in it, but when that that temple was there with no wall, nobody wanted to live by it. It was a dangerous place. But now they built the wall and it was protected. And so now Nehemiah says, one out of ten Families need to come live here. Verse 1, chapter 11, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people then, they would cast lots, which is dice, and they believed the outcome was of the Lord. And so this random chance, random, God's plan, right? Um, Bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine out of ten can stay where they're at. Chapter 12, they dedicate the wall uh, with a, with a, a parade. They had a big parade and they had singing because it's a holy wall. They understood God allowed them to do it in just 52 days. And then they lived happily ever after. No, Walt Disney wasn't born yet, so they can't live happily ever after. They fell right back in their old habits. You read chapter 13? Nehemiah actually takes a little um, sabbatical, if you will. It's back to Susa, back to the king. And then he comes back and you know what he finds? I don't know how long he was gone. Scripture doesn't say. But he went back and he comes Comes back to Jerusalem. Well, in the meantime, one of the priests let a foreigner live in the house of God. Okay? They weren't supporting the priests anymore financially. They took foreign wives and they were not keeping the Sabbath holy. Basically, the whole covenant, right? The whole promise, they weren't doing any of it. So, Nehemiah cleans house once again. And this time he gets a little feisty. You read it, he pulls a little bit of hair and stuff. It's a. Uh, I don't know what he was, he got a little nuts there. Um, but he was zealous for God. Um, but that cycle continued, continued. All those kept going. And then we get all the way to Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, right? In Malachi, um, I mentioned a few weeks ago 
that he was um, talked about the last two verses of Malachi. He talks about the spirit of Elijah would come. John the Baptist was the spirit of Elijah. Elijah would announce the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist did just that. But Malachi also explains something very important. He explains why God's people were not being blessed. Why they were not being blessed. The priests, first of all, just to give you, again, this is years after Nehemiah. Okay? This is what it had become. This is what Jerusalem had become, the temple. The priests were making sacrifices like they were supposed to, but they weren't giving the best. They weren't taking the best um, lamb. They were taking the worst. Blind ones, lame ones, sick ones. That's what they were giving to God, the worst. And it says in Malachi that they were getting divorced left and right, so marriage was no longer sacred. They were ignoring social justice, an issue we have today in our country, right? And they were robbing God with their giving. He literally says that. You're robbing God. So God says to, through Malachi, here's my challenge. And I think it's a challenge for you. But before I give you the challenge, I'm going to ask you a question. When you think about tithes and offerings, why do you think God established them? What was the reason God wants you to give cheerfully of your finances? And I don't think the reason has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I know people talk about that. I've been asked that question many times. Should we still tithe? You know, that's a give a tenth of our income to God. Um, uh, has that changed? Um, you know, you can discuss that. You know, people have asked, is, is it a tenth of my gross or my net? I mean, you're just splitting hairs right now, okay? You're missing the point. The reason. The reason is Matthew 6.21. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Here's the thing. If you invest in the stock market, if you own stocks, guess what you pay attention to? The stock market. Right? If, if, if you buy a car or you buy a house, don't you take care of that? Don't you want that to be... It's important to you. You invest in it. You keep an eye on it. If you sign your, your kid up for sports, you're there. Right? I mean, where your treasure is, so is your heart. That's what Jesus said. And I think you need to understand this because I, I know when I first became a Christian, this was, this was a transition for me. Because I thought I was a big shot when I put a 20 in the offering plate. <laughs> right? I thought that was a big deal. And then some days it was 40. You know, I thought I was, you know, hey man, look at me, you know, 40 bucks in the offering plate. But what matters more than the amount? What matters more than the amount is the percentage. See, I don't think God cares about the amount. In fact, you, can, you, don't, you shouldn't compare my son's $20 to your $20,000. It's not the amount. In fact, there's plenty of places in Scripture that Jesus explains it's not about the amount. Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up, saw rich people putting their gifts in the offering box. Then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. What's he talking about? Amount? No, he's talking about percentage. He says, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in 
all she had to live on. I think God looks at our percentage. Are you all in for God? 100%? There was a rich man that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've obeyed all the commands. He was feeling a little pious, I think, a little pompous, if you will, a little bit, a little bit feeling good about himself because he knew you know, he was good with all those commands. Right? And he says, what else must I do, Jesus? And Jesus said, because he knew he was wealthy, he said, go give it all away and come follow me. And that man didn't follow Jesus. He walked away sad. Now, I believe Jesus didn't really want his money. What did he want? His heart. That's right. Because God wants our heart. He wants us to have holy wallets. And here's what holy wallets really means. It doesn't mean you go penniless, right? We have to have money to live on and, and, and support our families and so on and so forth. But it means you have an understanding that everything you have is from God. And when God says give, you just say, okay, let me get my wallet out. How much? How much, God? How much am I giving? Like my son. What about giving? Oh, yeah, here. Without hesitation. That's what it means to have holy wallets. When God says give, you just say, how much? Because you are a manager of everything he has blessed you with. And I tell you what, when you have holy wallets, when you have the right heart, when it comes to giving, God's going to bless you. I mean, that's just in the word of God. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Did you know that it's not a good idea to test God? Did you know that? Yeah, except when it comes to giving. That's the Malachi challenge. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, Malachi says this, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how do we do that? How do we turn back to God? And then he says in verse 8, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How are we robbing you, God? With your tithes and contributions. The, you are cursed, he says, with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then this is the part, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Put me to the test, God says. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now you know me. You know I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teacher. That is not my, I'm not taking this verse out of context. I'm teaching it the way it should be taught. God says, put me to the test and I will bless you. I know many people who have taken this challenge and the blessings they received were far greater than any financial blessings. Prayers were answered. Relationships were restored. People were healed. I believe when you give God your first fruits, he just pours out the blessings on you. When you have holy wallets, when, you, when your heart is for him 100%. Because you know what? When you give your heart to God, when you give financially to God and his church, your heart follows that, and all of a sudden you come to church more. 
You pray more. You invest in his church more. You want to support not just the church. You're thinking missionaries. Right? You're thinking, I want to support um, other causes that bless God. Our family has been given the Lord's work for over 20 years. And as Paul said in Acts, I just read it this morning, he quotes Jesus, it's better to give than it is to receive. That's right. Support missionaries, support children, support families. I love doing that because I get to see what God is doing all over the world. This church supports a a family in um, Chad, Africa right now. Trying to, to, to write the Bible in their language so that they can know the truth. So I want to challenge you to give to God. Take the Malachi challenge. Make 10% your starting point. Now, that's going to seem like a lot because I've been there, right? 40 bucks was a lot, you know? But 10% is your starting point and you just keep on giving more and more and more because God wants your heart and invest in his work. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a truth that we just saw recently. God can pour it out like he poured out the oil for the widow who was in the presence of Elisha, and he doesn't stop. He can pour it out and pour it out and pour it out. You can't outgive God. That is a truth I have found for 20 years. You just can't do it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and you can't outgive him. But if you give with your heart cheerfully and faithfully, I'm telling you, God will bless you. So I encourage you to take the the Malachi challenge, if you will, for three months at least, finish out 2020, I guarantee you won't stop because you'll just be blessed. It's just how it works. It's what God does. I'm going to pray, and we have one final song this morning. Lord, as I bring this message to you today and to, to your people, Lord, I pray that we would hear it, that we would take it in, their hearts would burn, that we would be willing to take on this challenge to know, and maybe we already are. Maybe there's many here today, Lord, that, are, that have already been giving a percentage well beyond 10%, and they know what I'm saying is true. I pray, Father, for those that have never given beyond just a few dollars. I pray, Lord, that they would be challenged to do that, and to see what you will do in their life. God, pour it out on them. Pour out your blessings. Let them see your great love. May our hearts turn to you, God, 100%. 100%. Lord, I pray for our offering today. As we place it in the offering, as we give online, however we give, I pray, Father, that it would come from holy wallets, from a mindset that says, We are just taking care of what you have blessed us with. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us what you have. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.